BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Well, she's got a lot of things on her mind to talk about now. She's taking care of her voice, so you know that she's not going to shout now. So get your headphones ready to hear what it's all about. We'll have no fun, no fun, because your purpose podcast comes out today. We'll have no fun, no fun, because your purpose podcast comes out today. No fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, episode 394, the last episode of June 2021. How was your June? I know you're like, it's July by the time I'm listening. Listen, you listen when you listen. But I'm recording this for it to come out on Wednesday, June 30th. Thanks for being here. I am Jen Kirkman. This is my podcast. It is called No Fun, the Jen Kirkman podcast, formerly known as I Seem Fun, the Diary of Jen Kirkman. It's the same exact podcast, just a different name. Go to jenkirkman.com and click podcast or just go to jenkirkman.com slash podcast. And if you want to take a journey, you can find ways to listen to all of the episodes from the last year or so. If you're new to me and you want to hear uh, what I sounded like week to week during the pandemic as I sheltered in place by myself and probably went insane, that's a lot of fun. That's right there on that page. And of course, all of it is free. There is no charge for any listening to these audio versions. And then there is a link that will take you back to I Seem Fun all the way back when it began in 2013. That is so long ago. So enjoy it. It's all there for you. Again, I'm Jen Kirkman. I'm a comedian. My two comedy specials are now on Netflix and, and always have been since they were up. I don't know why I said it like they just finally got there. I filmed them four years ago. Uh, I'm going to dial in and I feel fine from 2015 and just keep living from 2017. Now streaming. I'm also an author. You can find my books anywhere you buy books. They're called I Can Barely Take Care of Myself. That is a memoir about not wanting kids and the dumb things people say to you when you don't want kids. I know what I'm doing in other lies. I tell myself it's my second essay memoir book about turning 40, getting divorced, dating, traveling the world, comedy. It's a real insight into my messy, messy life. But this podcast is not a book or a comedy special. There's no editor. There's no take two. There is no perfected jokes that I've been touring with. This is just the real me where I speak off the top of my head about topics that I meant to talk about today, but again, unscripted. It's like talking to a friend where you say nothing. 
sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always honest and real. Shout out to everyone who listens who, uh, you might be walking the dog, you're doing the dishes, you're doing your crafting, you're driving to work, you're taking a break at work, you're going to sleep. Good night. These are the types of things people tell me they do while listening to my podcast, which I enjoy. I enjoy hearing what you guys do when you listen. If you want to send me an email letting me know what you do while you listen to the podcast, please email iseemfun at gmail.com. Don't email anything else. Don't ask me out on dates. Don't ask me personal questions about my life. Don't be weird. It's just an email for the show. If you want me to talk about a certain topic or want to send me an article of interest or respond to anything you heard on the show and you want me to read it on air, iseemfun at gmail.com. Thank you. All right, let's begin the show. What am I going to talk about this week? Well, by the way... What are we on? A couple minutes into the show? Well, guess what? For the Patreon subscribers, we are on minute 26. That's right. My Patreon subscribers get a video version of this show. They get extra content, which is a word I hate, and I fully embraced it. It's a totally corporate word that people who are not artists made up, I think. I mean, it sounds like it. And what I'm trying to say is they get 30 more minutes of an episode. They sometimes get 10 more minutes, sometimes 20, sometimes 30, whatever. And there are no ads on the Patreon version. And it's literally how I make a living. So if you want to support someone who isn't, uh, you know, a shitty person, I don't know how else to put it. I always feel like you have to appeal to people. Like people who make a ton of money on their Patreons, it's because they talk about things like conspiracy theories or they hate women or they're racist. And they get so many paid subscribers because there's a market for awfulness and awful people want to pay other awful people. Good people tend to have a Patreon and their fans go, oh, she's independently wealthy. She just does this for fun. If I were independently wealthy, I would stop working. Now there's many comedians who are fucking super wealthy, famous female comedians. They like to work because they apparently like to work. If I were them, I swear to God, you wouldn't hear from me except once in a while. (laughs) But the Patreon version is 100% what I do for a living. I'm not on tour this year. There are no new Netflix specials. Uh, Netflix had a change of management. The people that booked the specials have never thought I was funny. And I got totally fucked. So, I mean, I'm just going to be totally honest. So if you want to support a performer who's fucking funny, as my mother said, you can talk about anything in it. I don't understand why you're not more celebrated. I go, mom, I hear you. You know, uh, Brian Callen accused rapist and and he's got 6,000 Patreon subscribers a month, makes 30 grand a month. I've got about 760 Patreon subscribers. My goal is a thousand by August. August is my birthday the entire month. Well, it's actually August 28th, but that's my goal. I want to hit a thousand. Uh, It's a lot of work doing the Patreon, and of course, there are expenses to doing my podcast. So anyway, join up. You get the video version. You also get short bonus episodes every month. I mean, every week, I'm sorry, where I talk about something in celebrity and pop culture. The more you pay, the more of those shorty bonuses you get. You also get unreleased stand-up that I've done on the road. Uh, A set I did in Amsterdam is available to people, even though, you know, it's never been released anywhere. Sets I did... That with material that no one has heard before, little things like that. Uh, I've done episodes about my struggle with anxiety. I've done episodes where I go home and visit my family and I make a home movie about it. I've, it's, it's a lot of fun. There's so much variety on Patreon and you get so much 
bonus for your buck. Five bucks a month gets you one shorty bonus episode plus these unreleased stand-up sets that I throw in as an extra and a lot of other just I'll turn on the camera and start making bonus episodes here and there. And you get, of course, the video version, one video every week. And the $10 and up level, you get two shorty bonus episodes. And I, I've i revealed a lot on these shorty bonus episodes. My thoughts on, you know, Ellen quitting her show and what I really know about her and Demi Lovato's yogurt scandal and all kinds of crazy hot takes. And then as a $10 subscriber, you also get a one-hour bonus every month. So you get at least three to four hours of bonus stuff every month, plus the video version. And uh, you could also see me interview Dana Carvey live on stage. He prank called my mom as all of the Beatles. That is something available to $10 and up subscribers. My bonus two-hour episode I put out last month about my struggle with anxiety. And so listen, that's my big pitch. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Five bucks a month. If you want to pay annually, you get a bigger discount. I don't care either way. I'm going to be honest. The annual one makes me nervous. Um, and uh, cancel anytime. You'll, I'll never see it. I don't look who's coming, who's going. I only know the amount of people I have. I don't get in your business. I go, why did Julie cancel? You know, I don't need to know. Sometimes we just, we need to cancel. I get it. Anyway, so I will not go on any more about that. Let us begin the episode. So this week I'm going to talk about Jon Stewart kind of propping up the conspiracy theory that the Wuhan lab is responsible for developing and spreading COVID-19. I have a very nuanced take on everything from Jon Stewart's opinion. I think I know what he was trying to go for, and I haven't seen people explain this, so I'm going to explain it. I'm going to talk to the people who are disappointed in Jon Stewart about why you probably never should have been that into him in the first place. And I'm going to talk about uh, Dan Rather's reaction to it, fact-checking what Jon Stewart said, and a new, breaking news, a new article that came out this week where a woman who actually worked in the lab spoke for the first time about what it's like to work there and all the safety requirements and all that. So let's start with Jon Stewart. Now, Jon Stewart, host of The Daily Show, I, en- I enjoyed I enjoyed when he hosted The Daily Show. I used to be super into it uh, when I was younger, you know, in my 30s. I don't watch any late night shows now or any political comedy shows. It, I'm I'm podcast only with political stuff. And I, I actually don't even, I don't even need the comedy with it, if that makes sense. Now, um, full disclosure, I did want to write for The Daily Show for the longest time. And that's one of those things I call, that's what my brain said I wanted to do based on my fantasy of what it would be like. Does that make sense? So if anyone is going to not like anything I'm saying and you're going to go, she's just bitter because she this and that, I would ask you to reframe your notion of what makes someone bitter and just listen to someone saying they were disillusioned, came to a different consciousness, I sound insane, and uh, has a, again, I think I have a pretty balanced, nuanced take. Now, is Jon Stewart a bad guy? Of course not. What are we, children here with the black and white thinking? Save the black and white for movies. We here live in the gray. So I pay 
I pay a therapist every week to learn how to live in the gray area and not get so reactionary. So I loved Daily Show. Now, when I was just a broke, early 30-something, I, I was so obsessed with politics. I was a bit of a Bernie bro, if you must know. So obsessed with politics. And, uh, and I was still a Bernie bro even when I started to make money. So don't be like, then you, then you got rich and got into Hillary. Like, no. First of all, I never got rich. Um, and I always loved Hillary as well. But I was very, uh, I'll put it to you this way. When you're a young feminist, you, you don't always know everything about everything. You know, you assume that if someone is politically liberal, a man, that he is also a feminist. Now, a man might be for equal pay and pro-choice and, you know, all that, thinks women are equal. He wouldn't go to a woman doctor and, you know, oh, Dr. Jerry Smith, and then walks in and finds out it's a woman named Jerry and screams, women can't be doctors. You know, we, we most liberal men, we can say those three things are a fact about their feminism, but it doesn't mean they play well with women. Now we have to add into this stew that it's a comedian. Comedian men, ugh, they're not always so great with um, playing with others. Men as well. But women tend to be treated differently. And, and they might not even think they're treating women differently. Their, their biases come out and they claim, no, no, no. It's just that I don't think that's funny. And they will not recognize that's because of a bias. Okay, so what am I getting into? I'm going to get into the John Stewart lab leak, but I will give my personal John Stewart experience that really has nothing to do with John Stewart directly. But so I always wanted to write on The Daily Show. Now, I would have taken any job at that point. I, at that point, I was transcribing TV shows at home, typing 99 words a minute, using my foot pedal. Any of you transcribers out there, you know what a foot pedal is. It slows down the person talking that you're transcribing. It allows you to hit pause so that you can keep typing without having to use your hands to do any pausing or slowing down. So I'm just this broke transcriber, and I love watching The Daily Show, and I think I'd be good on this. Now, I actually, looking back, know that I would not have been, because, well, I, I actually can't say. I think I would have been a loose cannon, like a feminist Glenn Beck, <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> I don't mean that I have any of Glenn Beck's politics, but just that kind of uh, crazy man energy he brings. But I always felt that they needed, like, a more feminist perspective on the show. That they needed to have correspondents that were women. And they did eventually. My friend Kristen Schaal and other people, of course, of course. So obviously with Samantha Bee. But um, before this, before this, I, I knew a lot of people that worked at Daily Show. The head writer at the time was a fan of mine and uh, wrote me an email saying, you know, we're having a very small... Um, selection this of people were reaching out to to write a packet to try to get a job in the Daily Show. Now, back then, I think things are different now. You used to have to write an entire episode by yourself, from John's monologue jokes to coming up with, uh, you know, when they would do those crazy interviews with people and uh, just get them to say ridiculous things. Like you'd have to come up with a fake one of that. I mean, how do you even 
invent that, but you did. And you had to have your own clips and your own research. And so it was like, it took 48 hours to do, you know, you had to clear the decks, clear the schedule. Um, and you usually have a 48 hour deadline. Like, it's not like, oh, get it to us in a month. It's like, can you do it? But you find out Monday, can you do it by Friday? A lot of people with job jobs, they would have to say no. So this is kind of like what the younger generations are starting to dismantle, which is really cool, is like a lot of times when you have a, a waitressing job or a temp job or an office job or whatever, you're a nanny, whatever you do to make money, you can't lose that job because you need to make money. And so if you get a call, hey, you have 48 hours to get this packet to this TV show, you have to drop everything to do a good job. And a lot of people can't afford to. So there's been times in my life where I've said no to things because I just didn't have time to write it because I was so concerned with, I I live paycheck to paycheck. This is why a lot of people with independent wealth, wealthy parents, tend to get further in comedy because they always had the free time to do what it took to get jobs. So I'm I'm noticing on Twitter, the younger generation is really talking about how unfair this is. And I, I of course, you know, Gen X, we thought about it and grumbled and, and uh, no one really listened when we said it, but things are breaking open, you know. But I had the time because I was freelance and nothing was coming in. Uh, so I wrote the packet and I, I didn't get the job and no problem. I mean, Jesus, you know, and they were like, you did a really great job. And uh, many times I, uh, they would have these open call daily show auditions where you'd go into a casting director's office and they'd have you read copy of something that a correspondent had already done, but they just wanted to get a sense of you on camera. I always thought that was actually a bad way to audition people because if I'm going to do a bit that Rob Corddry already did, like, how am I going to show you who I am? I, I, whatever. But, um, yeah, so I think I tried to get a writing job there twice and then I got hired on Chelsea lately. And I remember thinking, God, this Chelsea show is so not me. I'm political. I'm political. And I realized that, but my standup was not political. My standup was personal. And I realized that what happened to me getting the Chelsea job was actually the most genius stroke of luck that's ever happened in my life. It was so meant to be that I couldn't see it for many years until I started touring. And I realized that because I was allowed to talk about my personal life on the Chelsea show, you know, we did joke about celebrities, but you were allowed to say, you know, oh, you know, hey, Chelsea, just like Lindsay Lohan, I am divorced or I'm a mess in relationships or I'm a drunk or, you know, whatever people's story was. So the audience would get to know you. And so then when you went on tour and fans of the show came, they were happy to see you talk about your life and they weren't confused. If I had gotten a job on Daily Show and had been presented as this political person, uh, I would have done a good job because I think I'm good for writing political things for TV. But it's again, it's just not my heart when it comes to my stand up. Like politics is my serious hobby and I'm good at talking about it in a serious way-ish. Uh, and I think I could have harnessed the passion to make interesting TV and there'd be other writers there to help, you know, punch up the jokes. But man, going on tour, the audience would have been like, I thought we were going to see more of a political comedian. And, and I realized that just because I like a show... And I feel that I'm a political person. It doesn't mean that show is a good match. And it actually, 
I'm going to walk back a little bit what I said that I probably could have made stuff funny on there. Like I could have because I'm good at what I do. I'm a good writer. I'm a good performer. I can make it work, but I just don't think it would have been my heart. And I think I would have quickly realized, oh, I'm a political person trying to work on a political comedy show, but my comedy is somewhere else. So everything worked out how it was meant to. But I do remember this. The, the reason I brought all that up was this one specific time. Uh, I was once again, like, specially reached out to, not by John, but it's always by, you know, their people and all that kind of stuff. And thought, Jen, if you were to create a segment for yourself on the show, what would it be? And I said, I would love to do like a Lewis Black ranting because I was kind of a ranting comedian at that point. And I said, and I'd love to rant about feminism topics, whether it's, I don't know what, a anything like from the small to the big, you know? And they were like, yeah, but Lewis Black is angry. And I was like, yeah, so I'll be like that, like ranty. And they're like, but we can't have an angry woman. And and they weren't saying we can't have two angry people. And it's not like we'd be on the same episode, but it's not, it's not like they were saying we can't have two angry things in our stable that sometimes come out. It was like, but the feminism bits won't be palatable if you're angry. And I'm like, but why is anything... Um, Lewis Black says palatable because he's angry. I mean, it's palatable to me because I find him very funny and I find anger to be funny sometimes. And, uh, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm repeating a direct conversation I had. It was, it was like me writing up a pitch, sending it through to my manager. Then my manager sends it to whoever she's talking to. And then my manager comes back to me and says, this is what they said. And I'm like, What? And so it was like, can you write this rant that you would do to be a little less angry? And it was like, I actually can't because that's not my style. So I could just write like a super sweetly sarcastic kind of thing. So I tried that and they were like, we'd have to see it because now we don't understand the context when it's just on the paper. So then I had to make a video of it, but it wasn't my persona. So I don't think I did a good job, but I would just, I think about stuff like that. And this is not to excoriate anyone. And my Lord, this was literally 15 years ago. It was such a different world. But I started to realize with my personal goings on at that show and with friends I had that worked there and things they would tell me like, oh, this guy is like a little bit in his own like man comedian bubble and like isn't this like feminist hero that like I assume he was because we have the same politics on a lot of things. And then he retired and he went to live on his farm and and all that. And then he came back to do a show for the Trump election. But I feel he was doing a lot of both sidesing in the 2016 election where it was like, listen, Hillary's the devil. So is Trump. Here's my show. And I'm like, wait a minute. If anything, the show is going to maybe take away from Trump supporters votes from Trump people or people that don't know much about politics and just thought it might be funny to vote for Trump or something. But you're not giving the votes to Hillary, and she is the only thing between us and the apocalypse. And I just was like, oh, right, this guy. I just like, you know, he's not my thing. And if you want to know more about him, you can listen to my friend Wyatt Sinek's story uh, on Mark Maron's WTF. He he had some issues with John um, as a young black man working for the show. So, you know, go listen to his episode if you can find it or just Google that and, and the whole story will come up. So we're not here to be like, John's terrible. But what I'm saying to the people who are disillusioned by John because of his Wuhan conspiracy, I say to you, welcome to the club. 
see women and people of color, we found out earlier, and now it's finally trickling down to like, what's the last thing that white straight men can realize John is not like totally smart about? Oh, the COVID conspiracy. Oh boy. Yeah. So there you go. I mean, again, these are comedians. They're not prophets. They're not um, political community organizers. They're just comedians. And comedians have bad takes on things a lot of times, myself included. Now, here's where Jon Stewart went wrong. And if you're like, I gen, great story about your uh, situation in life in The Daily Show, but I don't know what your referencing. And to that, I say, if you wear no problem. We'll bring this up now. So Jon Stewart, who had retired to live on his vegan farm or whatever, uh, is having a hard time staying retired. <laughs> Was it, I don't blame him. Like, look, in my head, I think I could retire if I had all the money in the world. But maybe I would every once in a while be like, I need a little bit of attention, you know. But that's where I think, like, He's not, in my opinion, he's not, like, this is my problem with a lot of celebrities that aren't on Twitter. Um, I know Twitter is not real life, and I know that Twitter is not even representative of, like, the Democratic coalition, the, the political party, the Democrats, but Twitter does give you a good sense of what new movements are bubbling. It gives you a sense of really seeing different points of view in your own liberalism. And when a celebrity is not on Twitter, I feel like they don't understand the basic concept that as an older white male, straight, cis, white male, older, that left and keeps coming back every once in a while to throw in their political opinion, I feel like they're not understanding how radicalized the internet has become and who they might be throwing accidental red meat to. Uh, they assume everybody watching uh, understands who they are and their point of view, and now you've got a whole generation of people that did not grow up on Jon Stewart's Daily Show. They do not know who this is. They're, you know... Um, I remember Tina Fey did something during, uh, God, I really forget what the big thing going on was, but it was, she went on TV and was like, I'm just going to eat a sheet cake because the world is so terrible. And it was like, ah, like white woman saying, I'm just going to check out and eat a sheet cake. Like there's a way to do that bit and there's a way to not do it. But her thing was like, I just can't anymore with all the bad news. I'm eating a sheet cake. And I get it, but as someone who lives on Twitter, I don't mean I'm always there. I just mean I live in that space. I, I would understand that that's not going to impress a bunch of young people of color or trans or gay. Go, Oh, good. So you get to check out of the hardships of the world to need a sheet cake, we don't, because this stuff actually affects us. And I know Tina Fey as a woman, she's got that, that minority status, as do I, but I try to be careful about making jokes about checking out. And I think there's a way to do it where you honor the fact that you know you have the privilege to check out, or you maybe do a different bit that's like, I've been to three marches today, did this and that, now I'm 
eating a sheet cake. Or I used to be so politically unaware, I would check out and eat a sheet cake at home. But here's my new thing is I go to a Black Lives Matter march with a giant sheet cake. You know, whatever. There's ways to still do that bit. But I just felt like it was a little tone deaf. But she doesn't go on Twitter. She doesn't live online. She doesn't know like these little things about like privilege. And and so I think Jon Stewart has every right to retire, come back, do more stuff. I mean, obviously there's a demand for him. TV does does not just give money to people that will not bring in ratings. You know, I mean, they do sometimes they make mistakes, but he's a viable voice in the marketplace, right? He's probably a voice for other men his age, blah, blah. <clears throat> this isn't let's cancel Jon Stewart. It's just if I were advising Jon Stewart, I would say, here's what you miss by not being online. And I know you think, you know, you're above it all by not being online and who wants to waste their time. And I feel the same way. <clears throat> I'm so sorry, guys. But I'm grateful for what being on Twitter has taught me about my blind spots. And, you know, even if I left Twitter or something, I would always be aware that there's a world that I don't know about going on at the exact same time as my white person, you know, middle-aged comfortable world, right? And I don't think a lot of these people take into consideration what is going on out there. And I think John didn't. So John goes uh, on to his old friend, Stephen Colbert's show, and he's talking about how he believes that science is a miracle for the vaccines that we have for COVID-19, and that also science is what killed us in terms of COVID-19. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a minute because that is the nugget that you guys need to know as a comedian. I know exactly what John was going for and his entire appearance on Colbert was about the cleverness. And I'm not saying it's clever and I'm not trying to be a cunt by being like, oh, he thinks it's so clever, but his excitement about the cleverness of that statement, that's all this was about. And because he's not, online or mixing it up too much, he doesn't understand that you really cannot do that kind of comedy where it's taking extreme point of view. He wasn't being ironic. I, I truly think he thinks there's something up with the lab theory, and I'll get into that, and I'll validate it and both dismiss it. <clears throat> but let me put it this way. If I think that it's really ironic and interesting to say, you know, science um, saves us and also it kills us. Like, think about the atomic bomb, right? Think about harnessing nuclear energy. I mean, clean nuclear energy is a great solution. Nuclear war, not so much, right? So I get the basic, like, oh my God, the very thing that we discovered, you know, humanity can't handle blah, blah. I get that. But he needs to say, unfortunately, that, uh, you know, he needs to because people thought he was doing a bit like is he is he saying that he thinks that the chinese created this in a lab and then spread it and i don't think he's saying that but you could certainly think he was because he doesn't not say that right and you could be like well wait is he just saying that maybe they were working on a coronavirus and it leaked he could be saying that but he didn't say that and so what he doesn't understand is that now and this is exactly what happened he's giving red meat to qAnon people and because he's not online, maybe he doesn't know that much about how it still works. And But these QAnon people think it was created in a lab, you know, uh, he 
he's giving red meat to conspiracy theorists, and now they get to claim Jon Stewart as their own. It's also just very confusing. Like, he didn't make clear what he was saying. And I know that we don't have to, like, explain jokes. As someone who hates explaining jokes, I get that. But I think I would have said, and, and people thought he was doing a bit. Is he being ironic? Is he doing a character? We still don't know. Maybe he was. It wasn't a very good character. You know, it's like, he, see, he's not known for doing those ironic characters like, like Stephen Colbert was. So when you do that out of the blue after being yourself for decades on TV and then retiring, coming back and doing a character one night who believes that the Chinese created a virus or, you know, in intimating that they might have and not clarifying that that's what you're saying either way, uh, is not a great, it's like not responsible. I'm just sorry. So it's like, there's a way that Jon Stewart could have done what he did, which is say, there's research out there that, that actually could change everything about Jon Stewart's appearance. And I'll get to that. So let me just play a little bit of what he did. So it's about an eight minute appearance. Um, and I'd like to think I'm more sophisticated than, than to fall for a character John was doing, but I will say in my defense where I get to keep my sophistication, if it's a character, it's a bad, it's a bad time for that. Cause you don't do characters normally. Like in 1918, they'd be like, drink a tincture of mercury. So he's saying that he's, he's, he's disappointed that, uh, science uh, that the way to not get the virus was to wear masks and wash your hands. And he's saying he thinks we should have come further than that because in 1918, uh, so he went back and looked at what they were doing in 1918 and it was the same advice, wash your hands and wear a mask. And he was saying he thought the science back in 1918 would be really stupid, like drink a tincture. And, and so I'm going to combat what he's saying after this clip. Like some bizarre thing. I'm like, we've come a long way, baby. It's the exact same. How do you feel about the science now? Well, so I will say this. I, I, and I honestly mean it. Okay, so I didn't play that part, but, but I told you what he said. So here's what I think. Uh, it is brilliant to wear a mask and wash your hands. And that science hasn't changed because it's that basic. It's like drinking water, eating food, right? We didn't evolve into past needing to put nutrients in our body. It doesn't mean we are stupid. It means, actually, I did an episode on my podcast last year about how Florence Nightingale invented ventilation systems. And we think of her, you know, the, the way that culture has treated women who, like, changed the world. Um, we think of her as this nice nurse who pet your hand and gave you cubes of cheese. Like, no, she invented ventilation. She was one of the reasons that... Uh, Lives were saved during pandemics. It was all about ventilating rooms and taking care of people outside. So before you can find a vaccine for whatever virus is spreading, whatever pandemic is happening, the only thing you can do is wash your hands and wear a mask and be ventilated and stay away from people um, who may be carrying this airborne virus and quarantine. It doesn't mean we haven't come that far. Uh, in fact, what ended up saving us was because we have come so far in science, we immediately had a vaccine available with the mRNA technology that scientists have been working on for 20 years. 
because this has something to do with the SARS virus. They've been working on this, anticipating that these things will mutate and things will happen like COVID. So we have this incredible vaccine for it. Uh, It is not fair to say, why didn't science come up with something better than wearing a mask and washing your hands? Well, we, that they did. It's the vaccine. It's a vaccine that would never have been able to be invented in 1918. We have come a long way. But yes, some basics will always be true. Airborne viruses, the best thing to do is wear a mask and quarantine and ventilate. Like, it's just like, he could have made a bit about that. He could have done a whole bit about how we think of Florence Nightingale and she was actually this badass. And and like, you know, it's just like, it's so myopic. Hang on. I just heard this crazy noise that sounded like a gremlin hatching, but it was a wax on my candle falling to the table and I need to blow this candle out. Hang on. And this is what I mean by when we let these like people with like no life perspective, like I don't think Jon Stewart as a straight white man is going to sit around going, I wonder if I've been sold because I I spent a lot of this year thinking about I wonder how many things in history were actually done by women that we don't know about. So I'll go look. And I went, I have a feeling that I don't know anything about Florence Nightingale. So I looked and I made an interesting podcast episode about he's not doing that. Right. And I'm not saying all white women, but I'm just saying like, this is the problem with. We pick someone and exalt them to the status because they hosted a funny political comedy show and they don't have a lot of nuance and they don't have a lot of other perspectives. And so this was his uh, whole take on uh, Colbert. I think we owe a great debt of gratitude to science. Science has in many ways helped ease uh, the suffering of this pandemic, uh, which was more than likely caused by science. So that statement right there is what we would call the thesis of his whole appearance. That he had a thought, oh my God, if scientists were indeed trying to create a coronavirus in a lab for the sake of then learning how to create a vaccine for it, and it leaked, holy shit, science fucked us, even though science saves us. I get that point. It's mildly interesting. It's clever, but it's certainly not It's very first thought. Do we need to make time for that on a late night show and have someone say that without any other nuance? Like as a comedian, I know exactly what he's doing. I have based entire bits on this little clever thought I thought was so clever. But then you have to steer the ship, John. You have to then say, if the lab created this virus in order to find a vaccine for it and it leaked holy shit we just had the most unlucky year of our life is there something in the cosmos going on like go that route now i know that donald trump said in 2020 it's a china virus and he tried to push this conspiracy that they created it in a lab to weaponize and many many people have said this was not man-made it was not a bioweapon But then President Biden has said, look, if there's a, you know, China then got very secretive and strange about everything related to the first outbreak of coronavirus. I mean, it's a communist country. 
It's a secretive country. I'll give you my real life China story. I was asked to do a comedy show, a headlining set for a weekend in China. Ironically, it would have been, uh, I think it would have been fall 2019. My agent had contacted me at the beginning of the year. It, I, I swear to God, it might have even been for November. And I was like, um, he's like, you'd be going to China by yourself. And he's like, oh, but they fly you like this amazing airline first class. I'm like, that part sounds fun. But the rest of it was like, I have to write out word for word my set so the government can approve it. And if I go off script by, you know, I mean, they didn't, they weren't like, it wasn't like they were like, uh, you said my mother. And then in that other joke, you said, mom, uh, go to jail. But they were like, if you make fun of their government, if you make fun of communism, if you say anything that will like be too feminist, um, you will like, they'll stop the show and you'll be interrogated. And I was like, yeah, that part, not so fun. Um, you know, it's nothing to do with the people of China, the government of China. I don't, as a woman, want to go by myself and fuck with that as a comedian. You can't tell me not to say something, not because I'm like, you can't tell me what to say, but it'll, I'll get so worried about saying something wrong that I'll fucking blurt it out on stage because we're idiots. That's what we do. So I was like, you know what? I'd love the life experience on one hand, but I'm going to say no. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not, I don't want to do comedy in Russia. I don't want to do comedy in China. I don't want to mess with anything where the government needs to know about my set. Like, let's just know. And so I didn't. Probably glad I didn't. Imagine if I was the first person to get COVID. <laughs> but my point is, of course, I agree with President Biden that, hey, look, anything's fucking possible. Let's investigate. Now, I don't think it was created as a bioweapon. I do believe that stuff can happen. Um, I've read a lot about it. And what I read was that the Wuhan lab is a coronavirus. It's a virus lab, not just coronavirus. They study viruses. And it happened. Uh, it's been happening for years that scientists in this lab, which is not called the coronavirus lab, it's called the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They study viruses. But China has withheld information about it, and they, they're the ones that fueled the suspicion of a lab leak. So there could be. Like, I'm not... I'm saying it's being investigated. But what I'm saying is Jon Stewart was not being clear enough about what he was saying. All for the glory of his little clever twist that science kills us and science saves us. All for that. Like, as a comedian, I'm telling you, I know the soul of a comedian. It was not to really go on and talk about a lab leak or let's investigate. Because he didn't even mention that Biden was like, sure, let's investigate it. Australia's investigating. Let's, let's, let's investigate this very secretive country about why they're being weird about this. He didn't say it like that. He then went into a rant about something that wasn't even true. He kept saying the, the lab was called the, the, the coronavirus lab. But, but what I was reading about was these bats carry these SARS viruses and, and SARS was caused by bats. Like it keeps happening in China with these fucking bats. And what people in the lab have been studying for a long time is the connection between bats 
and these viruses that can be passed to humans, which is different than they are creating a coronavirus that got leaked, right? The intention, we don't know what the intention is. Like maybe everyone was on the up and up and it leaked by accident and China's covering it up because they're embarrassed. There's a million things. You see what I'm saying? And John could have funnily talked about that. Like, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but he didn't mind that he did. And that to me is like, someone's either going off the rails here or they just don't care or feel like they have any sense of responsibility. And uh, I just thought it was kind of lame. So anyway, so here's what he's uh, saying. Now the audience is clapping hysterically. And that's kind of... Okay. Scientists are like, how did this... So wait a minute, you work at the Wuhan Respiratory Coronavirus Lab. How did this happen? And they're like, mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle. And you're like, no. I, you, you, the wait, name wait. of your lab, if you look at the name, look at the name. Can I, let me see your business card. Show me your business card. Oh, I work at the coronavirus lab in Wuhan. Oh, because there's a coronavirus loose in Wuhan. How did that happen? Maybe a bat flew into the cloaca of a turkey and... See, the thing that he's dismissing here is even if it was an outrageous lab leak caused by people, there actually is a thing between SARS viruses and bats. That's not debatable. That's been going on for 20 years. So he sounds like a fucking idiot. The lab is called, you can Google it, the Wuhan, I'm looking at a picture of it. He goes, look at the sign. I'm looking at it. The Wuhan Institute of Virology. Nothing, but many viruses are studied there. So I just, that's my take for people that are disillusioned. Was he ever that fucking genius anyways? A fucking comedian, you know? He didn't create The Daily Show. Liz Winstead did, a, a genius political comedian who gets zero credit for creating it. And John was just plugged in like some actor. He was a very funny stand-up, but he got plugged in and then he got into politics by hosting that show. So I'm just saying, you guys, be careful with your heroes. Is John funny? Is he welcome in the marketplace of ideas? And sure, put him on TV for the people that like John. But I think he did a dumb thing. I think he was trying to be George Carlin with a clever, like, why do you park in the driveway, but drive on the parkway? I know what he was trying to do. He didn't do it well. And this whole notion of maybe he's sitting at home delighting in the fact that people don't know where he was coming from. Um, you know, maybe he was being a conspiracy theorist. Was he doing a character? It's like, I don't know why that that shouldn't delight you at this point in culture. So I, that's my theory. That's my thing. Um this is what Dan Rather said. If you want to hear someone smarter than me, and if you do, I don't know how you've been listening to this podcast for 45 minutes. Um, Dan said, I've, I've written before about these amazing vaccines under the heading Yay Science. This is from his Substack. Uh, but I feel the need to return to this topic in the wake of a movement to demonize science and scientists that is growing in this country and around the world. Legitimate questions are being taken to absurd and dangerous extremes. The process of science is being misrepresented, either deliberately or due to ignorance. And this isn't just the work of cynical operators on the political right. This Monday, comedian Jon Stewart went on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. It was a big moment, not just because the old friends were reunited. This was the first late show in front of a live audience in more than a year. The crowd, all vaccinated, was packed to capacity, ready for a night to remember what we lost. Most didn't wear masks. With this as the backdrop, Stewart had something he wanted to say about the pandemic and science. Quote, I honestly mean this, you know, and then the quote. 
From there, Stewart unleashed a rant couched in his familiar style of humor about his conclusion that the theory COVID came from a Chinese lab in Wuhan was a certainty. He added, oh my God, there's a novel respiratory coronavirus overtaking Wuhan, China. What do we do? Oh, you know who we could ask? The Wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab. Now, this needs to be put in the correct context. It is true that early in the pandemic, many, if not most scientists, dismissed the notion that the virus leaked from a lab. A year and a half later, the origins of the virus remain a mystery, and China has been far from forthcoming, to say the least, about what they did know. It is also true that more scientists are considering the lab theory as worthy of examination, although there was no specific evidence to date that it is the source. Furthermore, it seems that most virologists do not think that the virus has the chemical fingerprints of human engineering. We just don't know, and we need to try to find out, letting the facts lead wherever they may. All this underscores a simple truth. Science, nature, the universe is complicated. What we have seen in this pandemic is the public witnessing scientific research in real time. Scientists will be the first to tell you that a lot of what they initially think, their hypotheses, turn out to be wrong. That is what experimentation is for. That is what data is for. We all learn from our failures as well as our successes. Science isn't good faith or bad faith. It's not faith. It's about teasing out what we know, pivoting our thinking when we learn something new. Scientists, especially in the early stages of examining a phenomenon like a deadly virus, often disagree. There could have been a world where our political leadership at the time explained this process, where they helped guide the public through what we knew and didn't know, differentiating between points of confidence and uncertainty. Instead, they chose a different path, and did not listen to the science as it emerged and coalesced. They played games with the data. They spread lies and misinformation. They wished the problem would disappear by magic. And now that we have suffered hundreds of thousands of deaths, many of them preventable if we had followed what the scientists were telling us, these same forces want to attack researchers like Dr. Fauci to paint him as the enemy and distract from their own folly. We can expect that from the supporters of Donald Trump, but the words of Jon Stewart and many who share his politics show this is not an issue that cuts along partisan lines neatly. Uh, he extrapolated on a show. Can I say this about scientists? I love them. They do such good work, but they are going to kill us all. And John finished up by predicting how the world would end. The last word uh, man utters are somewhere in a lab. And the guy goes, huh, it worked. I cannot overemphasize how dangerous this line of thinking is. It is true that some scientists have done bad things in the name of research, such as the Tuskegee experiments. Scientists have been wrong. Science and technology have been tools that supported colonialism and oppression. Science does not release us from our moral responsibilities. All of this is the case because science is a human endeavor, and scientists are human, subject to the same frailties and base instincts as any member of our species. But science is also a way of thinking, where we challenge our own dogmas and beliefs, where we change our minds and approach where the data shows us we're wrong. Stewart is playing into the trope of a mad scientist at a time when we need science more than ever to solve our most pressing problems, most notably climate change. The idea that science is the biggest threat to the planet is terribly irresponsible. It gives free license to those who say, forget what we've learned, forget knowledge, forget seeing reality. Now, you could argue, guys, oh, Dan Rather can't take a joke, but here's the thing. Audiences can't take a joke. We have a way less sophisticated audience out there. And so comedians do have to be a little bit careful. I know John thinks it's cute to ride the line of almost sounding like a Trump supporter, but doing it in his own liberal way. That's like, no, I'm just being like nuanced. And like, here's my hot take. Like science can kill us. And it's like, yeah, but once again, like you as a white middle-aged man, we're never 
the recipient of the bad experiments that science has done. So you could talk about how other people have been affected by the human frailties of some science, but I don't know. It's just like, I get what Dan Rather's saying. And, I, and I'm not trying to be a comedian that's like, we can't tell jokes. I just think John Stewart told a joke badly. There's a way to do the bit he was doing. Like he could have, in his setups, incorporated all of this reality. Like, and the reason Colbert, he could say to his friend, Stephen Colbert, the reason, Stephen, that I sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist is because when there's a virus, we need to look into the lab that exists in the city the virus emanated. But because we had a crazy conspiracy theory president, I sound crazy for suggesting that, but because the president didn't give us facts about how science works, now everybody just doesn't trust scientists. Now I'm saying the irony, Stephen, is that like the atom bomb, science could kill us, but it, it mostly doesn't. It mostly doesn't. This is a miracle. We're all here tonight because of science. Look at you all without your mask on. Like there's ways to do the bit. Like you can fix, you can say, ser- I, I just gave you all the setup lines and then you could fit in punchlines. Like, but what if there's one bad scientist? Like we know air travel is safe, but what if there's one bad pilot who's like, I'm just going to crash this thing out of fight with my wife. Now, why do you need to do those jokes about science during this time when science is under attack? You don't. That's the point. I'm not saying you can't say anything. I'm just saying time and place because you're actually going to accidentally appeal to the wrong people and rile them up. And if you're a comedian who just needs to get your little clever thing about science out, then I don't think people telling you you're being irresponsible are the assholes. I think you are. You know, freedom of speech is not just some freedom we have. It's a responsibility. So be responsible with it and be funny and do better. I hate when people say do better. Don't do better, everybody. Um, Anyway, Dan Rather's thing is longer. You can just Google Dan Rather, Jon Stewart on Substack. And then lastly, this article came out today. Breaking news. Um, A lab worker talked to Bloomberg.com. She's a virologist. Her name is Danielle Anderson. She paints a very different picture at the Wuhan Institute. Um, she's an expert in bat-borne viruses, which this is one of those things. Even if humans created it, it's a bat-borne virus. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? The lab, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, is equipped to handle the planet's deadliest pathogens. It's not anything to do with just being about coronavirus. But she does admit that there has been half-truths and distortions from this lab. She was saying uh, it was a regular lab that worked in the same way as any other high containment lab. What people are saying is just not how it is. Uh, She began collaborating with Wuhan researchers in 2016. She was a scientific director of the biosafety lab at Singapore's Duke Medical School. Her research focuses on why lethal viruses like Ebola and Nipah cause no disease in the bats which in which they perpetually circulate, but do in humans. She's a rising star in the virology community. She says her work on Ebola in Wuhan was the realization of a lifelong career goal. She's gone all over the world. She was on the ground in Wuhan when experts believed the virus, now known as SARS-CoV-2, was beginning to spread. Daily visits for a period in 
late 2019, put her in close proximity to many others working at the 65-year-old research center. She was part of a group that gathered each morning at the Chinese Academy of Sciences to catch a bus that shuttled them to the Institute. She said as the sole foreigner, she stood out. The other researchers looked out for her. She was impressed with the Institute's maximum biocontainment lab. The concrete bunker-style building has the highest biosafety designation and requires air, water, and waste to be filtered and sterilized before it leaves the facility. There were strict protocols and requirements aimed at containing the pathogens being studied, Anderson said, and researchers underwent 45 hours of training to be certified to work independently in the lab. It's very, very extensive. Entering and exiting the facility was a carefully choreographed endeavor, Departures were made especially intricate by a requirement to take both a chemical shower and a personal shower, the timings of which were precisely planned. However, the Trump administration's focus in 2020 on the idea that the virus escaped from the Wuhan facility, facility, suggesting that something went seriously wrong at the Institute, the only one to specialize in virology, viral pathology, and virus technology of the some 20 biological and biomedical research institutes of the Chinese Academy of Sciences. There was no clear evidence from within SARS-CoV-2's genome that it had been artificially manipulated. But China's actions raised questions. The government refused to allow international scientists into Wuhan in early 2020. Anderson said no one she knew at the Wuhan Institute was ill towards the end of 2019. Moreover, there is a procedure for reporting symptoms that correspond with the pathogens handled in high-risk containment labs. If people were sick, I assume that I would have been sick, and I wasn't. I was tested for coronavirus in Singapore before I was vaccinated, and I've never had it. Not only that, many of her collaborators in Wuhan came to Singapore at the end of December for a gathering on the Nipah virus. There was no word of any illness sweeping the laboratory. There was no chatter. She says, scientists are gossipy and excited. There was nothing strange from my point of view going on at that point that would make you think something's going on here. She says, I'm not naive. She knows it's not that it's impossible the virus spilled from there, but most people don't understand how a pathogen escapes from a laboratory. SARS, an earlier coronavirus that emerged in Asia in 2002 and killed more than 700 people, subsequently made its way out of the secure facilities a handful of times. And, you know, what she's saying is didn't leak and didn't kill anyone. But she says she's not naive enough to say she writes off that an accident spawned COVID, but she still believes it came from a natural source. It took researchers almost a decade to pin down where in nature the SARS pathogen emerged and she's not surprised that they haven't found the smoking gun bat responsible for the latest outbreak. She says that uh, getting authorization to create a virus requires many layers of approval. There are scientific best practices that put strict limits on this kind of work. For example, a moratorium was placed on research that could be done on the 1918 Spanish flu after scientists isolated it decades later. Even if such a gain-of-function effort got clearance, it's hard to achieve, she said. The technique is called reverse genetics. It's exceedingly difficult to actually make it work when you want it to work. So there you go. I just feel like, look, who fucking knows what happened, you know? Um, I just don't think John Stewart's clever thing was worth it.
And that's my hot take. I, I didn't think I'd go on for a whole fucking hour about this. I mean, I didn't really have any other exciting topics. Uh, let me give my Patreon some shout outs, but I will uh, let you know that I had a weird carpet cleaning experience this week. Um, where, you know, my boundaries weren't good. I thought they were. And uh, there was some awkwardness in my home with uh, three guys coming to clean my carpets. <laughs> okay. But before we do that, let us say a big thank you to the subscribers of my Patreon. Whether you subscribe at the $3 level, $5, $10, $15, you get a shout out this week. Thank you. Bellin. Woo, no last name there. Keep it one name. I like it. Like Madonna. Julie Ball. Thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I appreciate science. Jessica Jameson. No, I'm not going to make any dumb jokes about your last name being the name of a whiskey. You've heard it enough. What you need to hear from me, Jessica Jameson, is that you're a fucking great person. Nicholas Bissett. Ooh la la, that sounds like a fancy name. Nicholas Bissett. He's fancy. He's fancy. You're fancy. Thank you. Lisa Roberts. What are you doing right now? Did that just, did I just startle you? Everyone who's sleeping during this episode just woke up. Lisa Roberts, I want to thank you. You put your money where your mouth is, and I like that. Woody Battaglia. Silent G and Battaglia. I'm no asshole. And neither are you, Woody. Whatever the opposite of an asshole is, that's what you are. You're a good one. Thank you. And Michael Spada. Or is it Michael Spada? I'm going to say it's Michael Spada. Michael Spada. Spada, Spada, Michael, Michael. Sorry if I'm fucking up your name, but what I'm not going to fuck up is my sincerest thank you. I couldn't do it without you, Michael. And those are my Patreon shoutouts for this week. Again, if you want to join, patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Okay. So uh, as you know, I live in a rented home and I've got two rooms that have carpets and carpet wall-to-wall carpeting makes me cuckoo cuckoo but I've got uh, area rugs put on top of it so you really can't see much of the carpet that has to be here but uh I hadn't had them cleaned professionally in years I was supposed to right when COVID hit. And I was like, I don't think I want people in my home. So I called this company. There was a lot of back and forth. The scheduling was all off. That's fine. You know, but it, there was, they were supposed to come twice. They never showed up one day. The guy that runs the place goes, you said 3 p.m. I'm like, I didn't accept a doctor's appointment at 3. I never would have said 3. I like when people tell me I got it wrong. I'm like, I have text to prove. So then they come the next time and the guy's like, oh, I'm just here for the estimate. I'm like, okay, well. So I had to change everything around. They had, came on Saturday. Okay, great. So cleaning my carpets. I also have white couches and chairs. And that's, you know, that's when you don't have kids, you can do that. Everyone out there who doesn't have kids, what are you doing in your life that is specifically taking advantage of being child free? 
I say if you've always wanted white furniture, do it. You won't regret it. You spill on it, you can always clean it, get it scotch guarded, whatever. So these guys come, they clean the couch, and then they do this brilliant thing on my kitchen tile, floor tile, where it's like a hot steam cleaner, and it just sucks the dirt out. And I was like, oh my God, I forgot that the grout in my tiles was so white, you know, uh, so it's great. Now, the whole thing should take about three hours with three guys there. Uh, it took eight, eight hours. What am I, in a mansion? It, it was just that this one guy worked really slow, so... This one guy is really nice. Let's just uh, say his name is V. That's not his name, but let's just say it's V. And uh, so he comes. The other two guys come to clean the couch. They're great. And uh, it was really weird because this one guy was like, I said, tell me about some of the places that you go inside. Do you get to see beautiful homes and also disgusting homes? He's like, well, I really just started this job. I just moved here from Cleveland. I'm like, oh, I've been to Cleveland. He's like, you have? I'm like, yeah, many times. And I'm like, this place, that place, this. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I had to get out. It was nothing for me there. And I go, yeah, yeah, I can see that. And uh, he's like, why have you been to Cleveland so much? I'm like, oh, I've been everywhere a few times. I go, I'm a touring comedian. I don't know. I never tell people what I do for a living. And he was just so chill about it. He was like, oh, that's cool. Like, didn't care at all, which I love. And, uh, you know, these guys started really early in the morning. So I ordered Dunkin' Donuts coffee to be delivered, you know, in those boxes, box of Joe. And uh, I set it up for them. I like to, listen, I like to have people, if you come to my home, whether you are cleaning something or the housekeeper or just coming in for a minute, I make it a party. So I like put out bottled water for everybody. I put out the hot coffee, choices of creams and sugars and the Dunkin' Donuts cups. And I was like, everybody, here you go. I didn't have food for them because I didn't think anyone would be there past eight hours, but, or even three hours. So everyone was like, oh my God, no one's ever done this. You're so nice. Yes, I'm telling the story. I'm telling you a great day. But I do believe that with, so so Rich and Jerry, those are their real names. They got it. They were like, and we're still doing our job, but we're cleaning the couch. V, I feel like my, my setting up the coffee and like being chit-chatty while people were working. Now V was not working. He would just stop working and start talking. And I'm like, oh, I already know what happened. I've let down a boundary here. This guy is going to be chit-chatting. So, and the other guys were kind of like dogging him a little bit. Like he kept filling up a bucket using the the kitchen sink. And they were like, use the bathtub to fill it up. Like, come on, V, work smarter, not harder. He'd be like, oh, okay. So he kept calling me into the room he was doing. Do you want to see this? Do you want to see this? And at first I was like, does he just think I'm like one of these bitchy people that's like needs to see every second? And I was like, you know, you're cleaning the carpet. I see like where the dirt used to be. And then I see where it's all out. So I see it once. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. So excited. Keep going. You're doing great. You know, so I go sit in the dining room and I'm just like returning emails. And he's like, Jan, I'm like, yeah, like, do you want to see more? I'm like, um, no, I get it. Like literally every five minutes he would stop. And I'm like, what am I'm seeing the same thing? Like, yes, now you've done two more inches and that's very clean. It just like wouldn't end. And the other guys were kind of rolling their eyes. And then they, when they were done, uh, oh, so I had my curtains shut. Um, and they, and they were like, Do you, can you turn on the lights a little brighter? I was like, no, it's, it's these, it's their blackout curtains in my living room, but they're not black. They're like, uh, you know, sort of like a, a white and taupe color and they're, but they're heavy. And so I moved them and they're, all this light came in the room and there, and this one guy, Rich was like, oh my God, you're just like my wife. She likes everything dark. And I'm like, yeah, I, the, the, the sun in LA, I get it. It's up at 6am and 
sets at eight. It's always there for me. I, I need to ease into the day. And so I keep the blackout shades down in the morning. It also helps keep it cool because I don't like to have the AC on like the whole day, you know. And he was like, I don't like it. I'm afraid of the dark. And I just burst out laughing. Like, what grown man, like, just says to a stranger, I'm afraid of the dark? I'm like, you are? He's like, oh, yeah, my wife has to sleep with all the lights out, and I can't. He's like, I'm terrified of the dark. And he's like, it's just a creepy feeling. And he's like, I absolutely can't protect her <laughs> because I'm too afraid. I was like, you need to get a nightlight. And I was like, I have nightlights all over because I don't like it 100% dark either. And so he's like, I'm going to get a nightlight. And then he starts telling me about his anxiety, like, He's just going to drink one cup of coffee because um, he likes to have this Indian tea later in the afternoon and he never even knew about Indian tea, but someone gave him some once. And once he, if he drinks that with his coffee, he starts getting heart palpitations and then thinking he's dying. And so he's just like going on about anxiety, but like he's doing it while he's working. And I just loved these guys. And I just love any time when people just come over, like, I don't know these people, like I've known them 10 minutes. But you put out the coffee and people start opening up. I have anxiety. I'm afraid of the dark. They were such a fucking delight. But this guy, V, he's doing something separate. He's in the bedroom cleaning the rug. Now, these guys, it's like an hour and a half later. They're done doing all the furniture stuff. And they start packing up to leave. And I go, you guys are leaving? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, I thought you were going to do, you know, the other rug and the kitchen tile. And they're like, oh, V's going to do that. And I was like, oh, I thought you all did it at once. And they're like, no, we're just these guys. And I was like, oh, okay. And literally, they left at 11, and V was there until 4. Like, it does not take five hours to do what he was doing. It would probably take two. But he just kept stopping, and, like, I don't know what he was doing. And then he just kept talking to me. And I couldn't be like, don't talk to me. I mean, I know you're like, yes, you could. I really... First, I forgot to hide. The Patreon subscribers can see where I am. I'm in my office. I forgot to hide my books. And the pictures of me on the wall that are, like, me on Conan and me on The Tonight Show. And... He just like comes in the room and he's like, oh my God, did you write these books? Are you this person that's on TV? And I was like, yep. And then like he'd be cleaning and I'd hear the industrial thing. And then he'd shut it off. And then he'd come to where I was sitting. He'd go, so how long does it take to write a book? And I wanted to be like, not as long as you're taking. So, and so he had other jobs to go to too. He's like, I'm going to be so late for my other jobs. I'm like, then like, so he's like, oh my God, look at this book you wrote about not wanting kids. And then he comes in to the room I'm in and he's like, you know, I'm really envious, like, because he could tell by the pictures on the wall that I've traveled a lot. He's like, I'm really envious of all your travels. I bet you got to do that because you don't have kids. I'm like, yeah, and you know, the job I have, it, they pay me to travel places. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely easier because I don't have kids and don't have to worry about that stuff. And he goes, yeah, you know, I have a, I have two kids, one a one-year-old and a two-year-old, and, and they're my life. He said, but you know, I'm glad I had them, but I, I do feel sad that I can't like just do whatever I want whenever I want. I'm like, yeah, that's the trade-off, you know, but you get a lot out of it. And, you know, when they're older, you can do what you want whenever you want. And I bet when they're a little bit older, you can start doing stuff with them and it won't feel so much like you don't get to do fun things. And he's like, yeah, I mean, you know, I used to have a violent temper and I would go off the handle and react and uh, I've been to jail. And he's like, so, you know, having kids like, if someone's being disrespectful to me, I, I don't fly off the handle at them. And, uh, you know, because I don't want to go to jail because who would take care of my kids? I'm a single father. I'm like, 
Totally. So now I'm like, oh, you can't say anything to this guy. You can't go, can you hurry it up? Thanks for telling me that you used to have a violent criminal past. I'm like, I don't care if someone's been to jail, like no judgment, but like maybe don't tell me that the only thing keeping you from flying off the handle and going back to jail is that you're thinking of your kids because that's not enough. That's not enough in my opinion. I didn't say that. He goes, anyway, I can't believe you're a writer. I thought you were a model. Now I'm in my dirtiest clothes, hair up, glasses on. I am not thin like a model. I am in my 40s. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for the compliment. I'm, I, and I know that like men don't even know what models are. Do you know, if they see someone they think is attractive, like they just go, that person could be a model. They don't actually study modeling like, like I do, you know, you got to be six feet tall and, you know, 40 pounds underweight and 20, you know, they're not like thinking of it that way. He's not saying you seem 20 and six feet tall and 40 pounds underweight. He's not thinking of it that way. He's just trying to call me attractive after he told me that if anyone disrespects him uh, in the past, he would have gone to jail for it. So I was like, fuck, like I cannot tell the boss about this. So luckily, well, I don't mean luckily, but he did something where he like scraped something on the floor and like kind of sprayed some acid onto my stainless steel fridge and uh, kind of ate through the fridge. So like, that's not great because I'll have to pay for that um, when I move out. But, you know, I'm not going to tell his boss because I don't want this guy to get fired, you know. Um, but I, I did have to reach out and go, you guys ruined my fridge. Like, you got to do something about it. So the guy is calling me today, the owner of the company. But um I'm just going to be like, please don't fire anyone. But he also wanted to know why it took eight hours. And I was like, oh, fuck. Because he knows how long it takes because they clock out and stuff. So I'm just going to say he's really nice. He's just very chatty. But you know what? I blame myself because I put out coffee and I was very chatty. So you know what? Like, please do not fire this guy. Not just because he knows where I live, but like, you know, some people need extra help in this life. And I'm not about to get anyone fired. But that was my big, exciting week. Um... I wasn't all that social because I had a lot of stuff to do. And so I had myself a coffee party with three strangers. <laughs> and uh, there you go. Okay, we are going to close this episode out right now. Just going to read a couple listener emails. Jen, in this week's podcast, you uh, half solicited stories about our weird dreams. I once fell asleep to your podcast and had an extremely vivid dream that I was seated next to you at a fancy dinner party. I was really excited to meet you and we had a nice exchange. You were so warm and I felt like we'd been friends forever. Then you kept talking and talking and talking. You didn't directly address any of the other guests or ask anyone questions. I remember my inner dialogue. God, she's so rude. Jesus, would she just shut up? What the fuck did she just say? Nobody cares. Well, I guess it's true that you shouldn't meet your heroes. Shut the fuck up. I rarely remember my dreams, but for some reason that one stuck. I'd be willing to invite you to a dinner party if you'd like to redeem yourself. Thanks for your podcast. Despite your rudeness, you are a bright light in my life, Catherine. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'd asked people who fall asleep listening to the show, do I ever make it into your dreams? Because it's just, and there you go. And it, by the way, you know when you have a dream and you wake up and you think you're in love with someone, or you have a dream that someone you know did something terrible and you're like mad at them? This is that, like, even though she dreamt it and it's not true, I feel so horrible about myself that I'm like ashamed and like want to quit the podcast. Like, oh my God, I'm so rude at dinner parties and I do a podcast where I don't stop talking. I will say to anyone out there, dinner parties are my favorite thing to go to and I'm a listener. I will interview you like I'm Barbara Walters. I ask a lot of questions 
but you will know nothing about me by the end of the night. I do listen like a motherfucker. It's my, because I do, I've just been talking for an hour and a half. I can't take it anymore. So I'm going to go try to get myself invited to a dinner party so I can shut up right now and go listen. We're continuing the conversation over on Patreon. Uh, Subscribers at the $20 level a month get the bonus episode that comes out today. It would be their fifth bonus this month. And I'm talking about Harry, uh, not Harry Styles, Prince Harry and Oprah Winfrey and all of the mental health stuff that they are working on. That will come out on Wednesday, June 30th, sometime in the evening or, or Thursday, July 1st, sometime in the morning. So there you go. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Everybody, thank you for listening to the podcast. And of course, as always, until next week, have fun. <laughs>